behind every great design, behind every great collection, there is a narrative. Try to get to know the narrative of that designer. Welcome back to You Have to Wear Something. This is Nicole Briggs, your host still to this day. And today we have another amazing guest. Her name is Selena Pereira. She is a graphic designer and mixed media artist out of LA. And um, I was just so lucky to meet Selena through a friend of mine and also be able to look at her work, her um, amazing art. Um, We're on the walls of my place of work for a very long time, at least six months. And it was just a pleasure to get to know her and her art. Welcome to the show, Selena. Hi, Nicole. Thank you so much for having me. And that lovely intro. (laughs) Thank you for being here. Yeah, I like to, you know, put some respect on the artist's name, if you will, and um, welcome them. I haven't had a ton of artists. I usually have either fashion designers or um, tastemakers or stylists, things like that. So I'm happy to have um, someone who is creating art with their hands. It's not, you know, an influencer or a content producer, not to downplay that work. But, um, you know, as much as I love these platforms, even the one we're using now, I love also analog art. And I feel like you straddle between the lines and and you do a good job of making things that are fresh, as well as using you know, traditional um, methods and tactics. Does that sound correct? Yeah, um, I think so. I I started to get into the, I guess, the aesthetic that I'm I'm doing now, which is more collage, which kind of seems on trend these days. Um, but I started getting into it a few years ago, um, basically out of limitations and and restrictions. Um, so having, you know, a small space and and having the internet at our disposal and computers and Photoshop and things. So um, coming from like a love of art and painting and not really having the space to, to do that, I had to find like a happy medium between the two. Okay. And then in terms of the type of art that you're able to create and produce, um, what I noticed right away too is Selena is a very accomplished painter as well as a graphic designer. So tell me about those two worlds. Like, did, did you have a preference? Like, did you go to art school? You know, who, where does the art begin? How does Selena Pereira's work evolve? Oh, okay. That's a good question. Um, so I actually did, I didn't go to design or art school per se. Um, I have more of a self-taught background. I went to the University of Tampa in Florida. And when I was going to college, I wanted to be an advertising and PR major. I just thought from seeing movies and TV shows that the advertising world was really like slick and sexy. And I was just a kid and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, and so I started to take a couple of graphic design courses Uh, just as part of the advertising major, you were forced to. And it was something I found um, really interesting to be able to convey um, messages, information, be persuasive all through composition and color and really using visuals to, to communicate and to speak rather than having to write well or um, write at length. I found that 
visuals really became my way of communicating. Um, and so it, it started with design and then um, I ended up taking a painting course with a really amazing professor uh, who's a mixed media artist as well. And um, he really kicked me off in painting. I used to draw just a little bit on my way down to college. Um, and, and when he showed us different, you know, we worked in acrylics and oils, uh, we did sculpture, we used, um, you know, screen printing processes. And he really tried to open our minds to both like the digital world and traditional classical mediums and, and forms. Um, so both kind of satiated different needs of mine. One were to work in the confines of a problem and a grid and structure, which I, I think is really the basis of design. You're, you have an objective and you need to solve a problem and you need to convey a certain amount of information and you want to persuade someone to do something. Whereas art is really more transformational. It's more emotional in its, in its form of expression. It's very self-expressive and, um, and conceptual. And so I, that is generally how I delineate design versus art. Um, but they really help solve different things uh, within myself. Yeah, I noticed that with your, so Selena's collages really stuck out to me because um, they're really vibrant. And, um, you know, the Riveter, where I worked, the collective is female founded, is female forward. So, you know, of course, Selena is a, is a female artist. And then there's a lot of women in your work. And also like women of color in your work. Uh, black women, there's Minnie Riperton. Um, you've had Diana Ross, Oprah Winfrey. Um, and also black men too, Muhammad Ali. We actually, through the Riveter, sold one of your pieces that have Muhammad Ali in it. Um, but, you know, the work was really striking to me because um, even though I wouldn't, you're not a black woman, but I think your background is Brazilian. Is that correct? It is, yes. Both my parents uh, were born and raised in Brazil. Most of my family still lives there. Well, what really struck out for me is that usually if someone is an artist and they're not Black, they do not include Black subjects in their work. So I'd love to know, you know, how you began to do that, because that, it really takes the thought process outside of yourself to positively represent Black people, and especially Black women in art, where it's not over-sexualized or... It's not um, like a, a white savior narrative. Um, so I'd love to kind of dive deep into how you began to do that. Yeah, um, that's a great question. And to be honest, I don't know that I have a really, you know, deep linear answer for that. Um, I think my, my upbringing, um, I was exposed to a lot of just a lot, I think it all kind of starts with music. Um, in Brazil, a lot of uh, the music and the history comes from Afro culture. Um, a lot of my work stems from Bossa Nova, Tropicalismo, which has a lot of, you know, Afro music origins. And, um, and I mean, a lot of just the artwork that we all love and, and are stemmed from, um, comes from the black community. And so 
I grew up seeing, you know, Minnie Riperton or listening to Nina Simone and listening and watching to Eartha Kitt. And I, I just took notice of, of all these really strong women. Um, they always seem so really sure of themselves, really self-empowering and um, really just having a steadfast opinion on who they are and what their place is in the world um, and not, not taking any shit from anyone really, like not allowing anybody to form their own self-opinion or what their position was going to be. Um, and so it's sort of, the people that I was noticing the most or, or kept standing out in my mind um, just happened to be really prominent, iconic figures in the black community, like really amazing people. And so um, when I started to pull from, pop, I mean, because I guess my art is, is pretty like pop culture or pop art, if you will, just because yeah, I pull from. Art is is beautiful. So if you can make it to her Instagram, uh, we'll plug it at the end. Um, there's a couple of Selena prayers out there. Actually, several that do art, but she's got the C in the middle. So <laughs> just know that um, we'll make sure you have the info. But you you should really go and take a look at it in terms of pop art. I think a lot of people think like Warhol right off the top of the head, and and yeah, you know, there's some aspects of something that could be advertised or something that could be made into branding or a product with your art. But I feel like the women that you've included, you talk about that are strong, um, that gives it that emotion that you were talking about. And, you know, the painting that you did of your dad, um, that of course, like wasn't for sale. You know, I, it, it was a different feeling, you know, the painting, it was like emotional. And we actually got the most um, response from people looking at that, like, wow, that painting is really incredible. I, you feel so much from it. You could tell that it was made with love and that the person in, in the painting is, is well-loved, you know? And so um, when you were talking about the different feelings of the two different mediums, I also got that from your work. Um, but you also include Brazilian women as well in your own heritage and everything else. But I just, usually if something has some kind of, if any time that people of color or black women are included in anything, they're like, is it black owned or, you, you know, it, it's just because that's usually the only people that are going to consider us is us, unfortunately. Um, but we see a lot of that being addressed now with all the demonstrations and stuff like that. Right. And that, I mean, and how, I guess, how would you, I mean, as a black woman, how would you just, how are you feeling right now about, uh, you know, this, this like uproar and this upheaval? And I imagine you're like, wait, but this has been the situation for every moment that I've been alive and every moment that everyone has been alive before this like why now is it is it kind of like bittersweet um I don't know I I, I feel like it's almost like being a prisoner and be having Stockholm syndrome living in America it's like when you first get captured you're trying to get away and you have that energy and that fighting you and then over time 
you're being fed crumbs and base then the basics just to keep you alive while you're a prisoner and you become comfortable with that. And then over time, the basis of Stockholm syndrome is you almost begin to care for your oppressor and you're tired. You don't have that initial fight anymore to run away. And then that smells, that sounds very like morbid and dark, but I feel like there's been so many cycles of, wanting to fight the good fight, having some accomplishments like the Civil Rights Act, um, the right to vote, things like that, and then this exhaustion afterwards. And there's many cycles of the Black struggle that occur in America. It's like, okay, you know, like, Juneteenth is when we're actually, all slaves are actually free, you know, but then there's nothing, you can't even exercise that freedom because there is no infrastructure for you there's no you have no identity really you're you were property so then there's like a hundred years of that then you have like the civil rights era and then you have Rodney King in those riots you know it's all these cycles and I think the fight continues with new generations as a as a black woman I think we're entering 2020 has been a shit show but it's been a blessing because we are now finally seeing a little bit more attention from white women. Um, I think that life for everyone is hard, but when, if you're going to choose between being in a marginalized group or having the privilege, a white woman is going to choose the privilege. That's just an easier life. Why make 56 cents on the dollar when you can make 80 cents on the dollar? That's just slightly better. So Mm -hmm. I think white women are realizing that they re- even as like a female collective they can't truly be free unless they bring women of color along on the trip and it, it, you know we hear all these sayings all the time people quote mlk and everyone says you know uh, a, a justice against one is a just injustice against all and and all of that but we now are truly understanding what that means like every single move, every single triumph that the LGBTQ community or the Black community or the Latinx community has benefits everyone. And that's what I like about it. And so when you grow up, you have all these messages through, like you said, through TV, through media, you were inspired by what you saw on television or maybe in a movie or maybe what you read. And there's all these different ways we absorb and, you know, when you grow up and you see like, okay, oh, you know, a different world, you start trying to, you're looking for yourself in art, in TV, in film, in all forms of media, because most of the time that media is telling you you know, black people are ugly or black people are dirty or black people are alcoholics or, you know, you turn on the news and everyone in cuffs is always black and they sell you this lie of black on black crime. And it, this has just been going on for so long, this brainwashing, and it's going to take a long time to unravel. So yeah, it's a, it's a little bittersweet. I'm at a point where I'm tired because I've been like 20 years in a career hitting so many ceilings but at the same time like I know that I have to keep going and that Mm -hmm. my life 
you know, I am my ancestors' wildest dreams. I'm doing things that they could never imagine doing in the 60s, in the 50s, in the 40s. So I don't want to disrespect ancestors, um, you know, my family members, my relatives who sacrificed so that I could just have a slightly better, and it really is incremental. It's not like, wow, all the slaves are free. Now everyone's Bill Gates. You know, it takes, <laughs> it takes so long to try to catch up to centuries of a head start. And, and, and it's our ideology and it's the way we think and it's the things we see. So that's why through art, that's why I really want to speak to you because you are someone that has considered black women authentically not through force through a holistic and organic way oh man i i continue to try for that to be true and and in this you know in this time and in this moment where all of our eyes are being opened to our shortcomings and our failures and what we have not learned ourselves and what kinds of information we haven't gone after so i'm I'm still and will always uh, continue to try to unravel, um, you know, people and stories and lives that that I've just never learned about um, that all of us can take inspiration from. And I think, like you said, art has such an amazing way um, of doing that. And um, I remember I went to this art exhibition by this um artist named Tavris Strakin, and it was at the the Regent Projects in Hollywood. Um, and he took maybe five or six years to create what he called the Encyclope- Encyclopedia of Invisibility. And so it looks like, you know, one of those Merriam-Webster big encyclopedias. Okay. And what it was, was him doing research and, and archiving just all of the sto- these untold stories, a lot of which are about black people of color and other people of color. And um, it really hit a nerve in my head. It, it really made me think everything that we Google, everything, all of our history books, and this is a huge conversation that's happening right now, but all the stories we've learned, history as we know it, was you know, cherry-picked by pe- white people. I mean, that's, they've decided everything that we have learned has been decided for us. And so the hope and, and the necessity is that when we become adults, you know, when we're able to choose for ourselves, um, that we choose to do our own research and to learn and that the people who do have the ability to learn and to make art, um, take that responsibility on and try and storytell and, and showcase people, um, with stories that have never been told before and who are diverse and who really make up what our true culture is and not what the whitewash version is um, for kids and people who, you know, don't have the decision yet. And then for people who don't even know what they don't know, you know? So I think art has this really powerful way of being able to do that um, and really transform people's perception of reality um, and to step inside of the shoes of, of someone that they're just not and whose experience they will never experience. Yeah. You know, the winners get to dictate how history is written. Right. I mean, you look at the money, we have slave owners on our money, you know, I mean, like, (laughs) why are we celebrating them? You know, but um, 
yeah, it's like American history, this whole idea, a whole idea for the whole globe, honestly, of white supremacy and our history being like white and cis. And then the interesting thing about being in the other box is if you come from a different background, if it is Latinx, Brazilian, Black, whatever, you know, you go to school, you learn this white cis history. And then when you come home, I know for me anyway, we're reading like Black history. And so you grow up with this duality, but that's not necessarily happening for white children. You know, they're learning the same thing in schools and then they're coming home and their parents are reaffirming white supremacy. They're reading the same thing, you know, that George Washington was a great man and all that good stuff. And so, you know, I appreciate the the duality because it it, is so interesting that the power when someone decides they're the authority and how we all just have to agree with it (laughs) it's like we don't have to agree with it um and that's what all these protests and demonstrations are about we're like no we 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 understand what the sentence you know all lives matter means but they don't until they actually all matter that, you know, we have to honor black lives. We have to support and protect black lives. And so what's happening in Portland is really interesting. I I read an article and because Portland is predominantly white, you know, the thing that's happening now is the liberal white person definitely wants to be recognized as an ally and, uh, they want some want credit and applause for that, and I just don't think you should get a cookie or a trophy for treating people of color like humans. You know, you don't get. This is what should have always been happening. Like now, you you know this performance from you know Nancy Pelosi and the kente cloth and getting on the knee. A lot of it is becoming performative. And I don't want to get away from the point of we need to arrest Breonna Taylor's, you know, murderers. You know, there are Black people dying still every week without cops being held accountable. And while I love the marches and the demonstrations, like specifically, we need certain things to happen. And I love all the gestures. I love the murals and things like that. Like that, that's, that's power. Like when you talk about graphic power, like, what do you think about those murals on the street that say Black Lives Matter, especially the one in front of the White House? Like, what, as an artist, what were your thoughts on that? It's, you know, it's sort of a mixed feeling, I think, like what you're saying is that you see it in one, it's, it feels performative. Like, you know, it it's almost funny to think that, that, Donald Trump lives on Black Lives Matter Avenue now. Like that's hilarious. And uh, just to think like how much that probably makes his, you know, blood boil um, is wonderful. And then it's also like, and I, and I wonder if, you know, a lot of artists uh, feel this way, but it's like, is this, is this all that I can do to help? Like you just want to be able to actually make a difference and help in some way. And the thing is that, I think art and design um, does have a power to move the needle because all of this is so pervasive in culture. 
Um, it's amazing to see Instagram a place that was starting to feel really just about, you know, influencers and creators and these hot button words and kids don't want to be doctors anymore. They want to be YouTube stars and whatever. Um, but during this time, it's been interesting to see it used as a platform really to spread information like wildfire. And, and that does come from designing something and making art, making murals that catch people's eye, that makes it clear what they're talking about, what the message is. And it makes, and it creates a memory. It like pervades your, your mind and your brain. And um, maybe in a way that's faster than that person reading an article or a handful of articles. And so I think it's a catch 22. Um, you need to be making the art and that needs to be happening so that the message is just more accessible and touching more people. And I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the ways that we really intake information is, is visual. Um, so that needs to be happening, but then all of the work behind that needs to be happening too. You need to be having the conversations. You need to be calling your representatives. You need to be writing. You need to be, you know, calling the police department every day and telling them to, to arrest Breonna Taylor's, you know, officers. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy and it's horrifying and it's so disheartening. Um, but you realize like you just, the fight, like you said, like the fight just never ends. Um, it's never going to end. We, you just have to keep doing it. And so you have to make the art and you have to put your feet on the ground and put your money where your mouth is and spend your money correctly, save the right things, have the right conversations, um, at behave in the way that you're telling other people to behave with your post or your story or your mural. Um, I think it all works hand in hand. It's not one is not going to work without the other. Yeah, I I just like looking at your art when I saw, for instance, like the piece with Minnie Riperton and she's holding the ice cream is from her album cover and she has the afro like, like, yeah, whatever. Big deal, because what's when you talk about influencers what's being projected as beauty is eurocentric features then mm -hmm. noses and lighter skin and straighter hair and this has been going on for years um whitening creams in africa and india all of that is being called out right now you know all this proximity to whiteness and um it's okay to have your natural hair it's okay to have an afro you shouldn't be losing out to job opportunities because your hair is kinky and it doesn't look like white hair or is it isn't tamed or it's not about assimilation. So that's another thing too, is just displaying the beauty of black women as it is and not trying to manipulate it to make it um, lighter or wider or, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Assimilated. Like if you look up unprofessional hair in Google, nothing but black women come up. If you Google the beautiful woman, you know, white women come up. If you Google just black woman uh, porn, like 
hypersexualized images a big booty big booty black woman comes up and um all of these hypersexualized things you know so there's all this virtue and opulence around white women as well like they're the clean you know beautiful idealistic woman to be with and the dark you are that's that's the more undesirable so what you're doing is really powerful because the industry beauty and otherwise um has ignored you know women of color band-aids are beige you know nude bras are beige um fenty just started making out we've been begging for makeup shades to deal with the Mm -hmm. complexities of brown skin for over a century finally you know rihanna says fuck it i'm gonna make like 60 shades and she made 75 million in one month that it shows the power is like these companies were fine to take our money but not consider us and that's what i mean about your work i was like oh shit she like legitimately considered us and not in a way to sell us shit not in a way to make us encourage us to assimilate do you know what i mean yeah absolutely um and you know when i i was so excited to use that that photo of Minnie Riperton and and part of my process is really just like digging through Wikimedia comments and seeing like, okay, I've just been listening to, you know, I've been listening to Diana Ross a lot. Like, let me see if there are any good pictures of her and, um, and just getting to see like all of these like really incredible, powerful black women in their like beautiful, like just, they're so beautiful. And part of it is, just physically visually and part of it is just like you their essence radiates through photographs and so like that's why I have been drawn to a lot of these images and what needs to be showcased more is like the way that we're so comfortable showing you know a photograph of all you know these white women of Marilyn Monroe of whoever um I mean there's just like black women are are incredible incredible figures incredible people to showcase and like you know have little girls who are watching the media who are going through instagram or watching tv or whatever see like you said see themselves because when we're when we're young we're just looking for someone to sort of model ourselves after until uh until we discover who we are i mean we all operate under imitation until we can find our personal voice until we've imitated so much that that all that's left is to really discover your own personal voice um that's just natural and so like it's problematic if there's only one type of person that you're able to look at and model when you look at yourself and feel like this isn't this isn't anything like me so what's wrong with me um yeah, you you do start to and and also the black community absorbs that as well. You know, um the cotton club, you know, the dancers had to pass paper bag tests. If you're darker than a paper bag, then you can't be a dancer at the cotton club. Like black people wanting a better life has absorbed the bullshit, you know, that you have to look more like them, you have to have more proximity to whiteness and, and that's still an issue Mm -hmm. Uh, you know um even with casting i mean they had a red table talk and she was talking this black actress was talking about um the casting 
I think for straight out of Compton leaked and it was like they you know it was a girls b girls and c girls and the a girls were like um almost like a model thin tall you know, I think they were mentioning almost basically like white women, maybe like Kendall Jenner. I don't really recall, but like B girls were like Beyonce and 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 uh, Lauren London, like people like that. And I'm like Beyonce is a B girl. That's weird. You know, it's like straight out of Compton. Like if you think about black people in Compton, yeah, <laughs> you know, people like Venus and Serena are from Compton. You know, like. These are should be dark skin or brown skin, regular black looking women, not women that not black women that look white, mm-hmm. you know. And so that's I have like a little bit of an issue with the obsession, even within the black community, of fetishizing like mixed children and 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 mixed actresses and, and things like that and if you look at the ones that have been the most successful like Holly Berry and I, I'm obsessed with her I love her she is mixed you know there's a lot of that going on and so um there's a lot of internal work we have to do but it's what's it's also what we've been sold if we are living in a white supremacist capitalist culture and we're trying to get a job and everyone that has a job looks like that mm-hmm. you know you are going to try to fit in so that you could put food on the table. You know, in the eighties, that's what all that was like. You have black women wearing like blue contacts and all kinds of stuff and having, trying to make their hair as straight as possible. And even sometimes bleaching their skin. And so that picture, you have a Diana Ross and she's dancing. That's another thing too, is I think art loves to celebrate black struggle. Mm-hmm. It, it's you know it's like slavery or slaves or if you go way back you know even some medieval art they may have like their servants you know mm-hmm. <laughs> or even some of that black and more work where it's like there's a lot of it is in James Bond movies which I have like a beef with James Bond movies there's always like some black and more sculpture or or lamp in the background of this super dark <laughs> slave holding up like a light <laughs> in the background you know everyone else and then and, and that has an effect on you everyone else in the in the film especially a James Bond film is like wide and beautiful and handsome and gorgeous and skilled and then you have like this sculpture of like the only thing you see that you can relate to in the movie is like this statue of a slave which is just horrible um but that that piece you did with Diana Ross, I really love too because it was just joy. It's like black people are 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 joyful. If that's not, you know, noticed, just in entertainment alone, in music alone, there's a lot of joy, but that's not always displayed um, in art. And it was so funny. I was watching this live with Alyssa Milano, and there's this. Um, I think her name is QA, but anyway. Uh, it's this new up and coming comedian who kind of makes fun of like white allies and white privilege. And she was saying like, what do you, what inspires you the most about black culture? What do you like the most about black culture? And Alyssa Milano said the way that they deal with, with the death. And it was just like, you know, there's so many layers of being black and, and the, 
the culture of being black that has absolutely nothing to do with something as morbid as dying or, you know, so it's just like top of mind awareness for her when, she, when, when this woman asked her about black culture was, was death. Mm-hmm. That was just like annoying. And that's what I mean. I don't want like, yes, we want our rights. Yes. What happened to George Floyd was fucked up, but there is so much more to the black community than just, making sure you stay alive all day <laughs> you know like it's just I don't know oh 100%. But thank you for thank you for including like joy like <laughs> you know what I mean I think I think there's a lot of like shock value in showing like slavery or nooses or mammies or blackface but then on the other side of that too there's just plain old you know pure happiness and joy yeah absolutely and and the thing is what like you can't just only show traumatic images over and over again because all that does is one, raise up trauma for people who have been dealing with it forever and don't really need to be exposed to it again, and then desensitize the other side. So, like, there really is so much power and beauty, and it's so nece- – I mean, we forget that just seeing things that are beautiful are so necessary, that rest is necessary, and so – showing joy um you know showing the diana ross dancing picture and ella fitzgerald waving her hands up um and just like the showing the moments of joy and victory are so important and that's what's empowering it's like it's also kind of the idea that i think more people respond to like positive reinforcement than they do you know negative it's it's like um the reason why like catholicism is so scary because everything is like the fear of the fear of religion, <laughs> the fear of hell. God burning in hell. And you're like, ah, every decision I make is out of like fear or trauma when like the truth is like life should be and for and usually is beautiful in your own little bubble, right? Like if you are a you're a black person in the black community, in a black family, and like your your memories in your in your bubble, like with your family, you have so much joy and so much light and you know and and peace to express and instead you're all all we're talking about is is that hard stuff and like that's just exhausting there has to be a break and also we just have to look at at the black community as like whole whole people which has the the rest and the beauty and the joy the highs and the lows like everyone is is everything um so to your point i i try to i try to show that um also as a way to internally combat combat those things the way you combat hard feelings and sadness and anger is kind of leaning into the opposite um uh, a woman i work with adobe she's she talked she wrote an article and it was really amazing um about black rest and it was something that I hadn't thought about until she said it but the importance of okay there's so many black people fighting for their rights and their privileges and and that fight is so is just tiring and relentless and so like you have to focus on rest as well like you have the right to fight and you also have the right to rest, which I think is not, yeah, you know, talked I mean, about often. If you're out there and I, I, I totally feel what you're feeling. It's like, 
after burn the sage, burn the Palo Santo, all the witchy shit. You know, you got to spray <laughs> the Oramis, like you got to burn the incense, like pray, meditate, do whatever you have to do. The yoga, just give yourself like time to recover mm-hmm. and also don't inundate yourself with all of the imagery right again it always comes back to the the imagery because that stays in your mind is how you remember we don't i don't want to think about black every time i think about black men i don't want to think about cops being on their neck so you know you're, you should limit how much of that trauma visually you're taking in i mean the same with 9 11 they, they were telling people after a while they had to tell news cycles to like hey like give it a rest stop showing those planes crash into the buildings over and over again it's fear-mongering mm-hmm. you know uh we, we like you said like problem solving now we need what's the next step after this tragedy and, and that's for us too it's like what's the next step after after these tragedies what reform needs to happen kind of eyes forward like take a moment we we're mourning we're hurting but also what's next um i always say that I started this because the type of journalist I wanted to be, which is like emulating Andre Leon Talley, who starts my show, and Robin Givon, the only fashion critic to ever win a Pulitzer, um, I didn't have a ton of opportunity to say the things I wanted to say and have, you know, my voice heard. So that's why I, I do this podcast. And the Atlantic is one of the few publications I feel is at least trying to be a cornerstone of integrity for journalism. And you do a lot of the art for the Atlantic late, lately, and I, I just love it. Can you tell me a little bit how that came to be? Because I feel like the two perfectly go together. Their stories and your art is like perfect. Oh, yeah. I mean... I completely agree with you. I think The Atlantic is such an incredible publication and the journalism and all the work and the just the design art direction, everything that's happening over there is is really amazing and intentional. Um, and so that started, honestly, I was so lucky. I've, every art director I've worked with there has been so wonderful and just incredibly intelligent and inspiring. They know what they want. Um, so I really lucked out. Um, one of the art directors there, Arsh, is is friends with one of my good friends that I grew up with in Maryland. And so I think from just clicking around on Instagram, um, she happened to click on my Instagram profile through my friends, through my friends, and she asked um, if she would mind connecting us. Uh, she could send me her my send her my email uh, because she wasn't seeing very many female collage artists at the time. Um, and so she reached out and she gave me my first assignment, which was um, an article about Lucia, uh, a Lucia Berlin book. And it was just such an incredible article because it, the stories are really about fragmented women. Um, and it was a really great space for me to kind of step in and fulfill this need that I, that I had where I was like, you know, I'm, I'm making all this art that I, I'm using to say something, but I would like to be talking about more important things, more um, accessible stories and, and reaching more people and being able to like comment on things that are bigger than myself and things that I'm feeling. Um, and so to be able to do that with the Atlantic has been incredible. And so from there, I've gotten to work with a few different art directors and 
have gotten to work for like make art for really incredible well-written articles every single time um one of the articles was with a different art director and it was about basically Thomas Jefferson and how problematic he was and um, (laughs) (laughs) man that they, they that concubine he had that was a slave they're trying to make that a romantic story it's like that girl was 14 did she have a choice oh yeah I mean it's (laughs) <laughs> like they had six kids but like they they make it seem like she could have gone to Planned Parenthood and, and terminated if she wanted to she had no choice absolutely there was no birth not. control there like no I, it yeah. was a wildly broken system with absolutely no true moral structure and like so the article was talking about you know his hand in building the University of Virginia and like the also huge problem that like that was built entirely on the backs of slaves and like this just this crazy duality of like all of our founding fathers being slave owners and like fighting for you know morality when that's not a thing that they had um so so just like with with the work with the Atlantic it's been really incredible to to be able to talk about really um timely topics um you know, problematic uh, topics, uh, getting to talk about um, just politically driven stories and getting to make art that that helps um, kind of enhance that, you know, really great writing. And um, yeah, I mean, just it's it's been really incredible. Yeah, and I love like women helping women. That's how it's supposed to go, right? We're supposed to reach back and pass the baton. So that um, I'm super into. And if you're hearing some splashing, it's because I um, I live very close to the building pool. <laughs> oh. People are out there <laughs> having their, enjoying their Sunday swim. So if you hear that in the background, you know, there's just people hanging out on the Sunday at the pool. You know, the least they could do during coronavirus. Enjoy the sound. Yeah. Um, so from the work you've done, you have an amazing body of work and things are moving along with the Atlantic. Do you have a vision for the future for your work? Like ideally, would you want to be at region projects and have just, just, a a visual artist's career or do you want to continue to like juggle different things like you know I always like to ask artists what's working what's not working and what would they like to see happen so what what would you like to see happen oh I mean I don't think I have a fully formed answer for that yet and it's a question that I ask myself constantly um and the truth is there's there's been pretty clear paths for for artists seemingly like when I read about Picasso or Matisse or all these really famous old school artists even newer artists um it seems like they have to be you know they have to have one medium um they're painters or they're sculptors or this is their one path and um I've found that it's been hard to describe to myself and then outwardly to others what it is that I do and what it is that I want because um, I love graphic design work and I love 
you know, doing editorial design, the things for The Atlantic and The Economist. Um, I love my job as an art director, working on agency things, which has its own, you know, push and pull um, and a whole different set of rules. And then ultimately, I think I love art the most in, in terms of the sense that it's it's the most me, it's the most self-expressive form. It's the form I I would like to think leaves the most impact. And so I'd like to do more paintings. Um, and I would, I'd like to eventually when, you know, the, if the world ever reopens and we're able to be together in the same places and stuff, um, I would like to have an exhibition and I want it to be a really mixed media form. I want it to be filled with paintings and be really thought out through user experience and design. I want there to be like a more interactive element, not 29 rooms and museum of ice cream interactive, but I want uh, to find a way to create more conversation and um, interactivity using art as like the catalyst of dialogue in a way that's like, really much more accessible to people because I think art is is made to sound so highfalutin like yeah I don't you know classist and elitist and it really isn't yeah it just seems like a game that you can't get into unless you're affluent or unless you know someone like I'm like what does it even mean to be able to be who who can get into a gallery or or you know what does that even mean how do you sell a painting like things like that and um which is why spaces like new to and junior high welcome to junior high like these these really mindful progressive art spaces that are and the underground museum i also think is a great example of like even in the way that they love underground museum they do a good job you're right oh my gosh they do an incredible job with their programming and also just with their language like i remember I had this one time where I'd gone to a Peter Shire exhibit that was at the PAC Design Center. So you walk in and there's this huge artist statement. And it was just like, and I love Peter Shire. This is no comment on him. It's just, it was funny, the dichotomy of of both. Um, It's this really long artist statement I read through and I was like, I have no idea what that, that just said. I have no idea what this means. And then I go to the Underground Museum later and it was um, an exhibition about, I think it was like, I think it was called color. Um, I remember there was like a big blue ball there and there was um, a lot of Noah Davis's work and, and a lot of um, other people, Ellsworth Kelly. And the artist statement was so simply written. It was so democratically written. I remember one that like, I think the last line was like, if all you take away from this exhibition is that you love the color blue, then you've experienced it exactly correctly. And like, that is what I want I guess my legacy or my work to be, I want to fit into that category of artists and designers and community is I want to make things that help people feel seen and not, um, not ostracized and not like they're not good enough to be wherever they are and whoever they are. Um, I I want to fit that. I want someone, if they just look at my thing and they realize they like the colors, yellow, blue, and red, sick. Like, that's great. Yeah, I also, when you speak of these other museums too, when we talk about classism, elitism, you know, usually when we go out of town, we go on vacation, we go to 
you know, like in Chicago, the MCA, you go to the Art Institute here in LA, you go to LACMA, you can go to also CAM, you can go to underground museums, seek out those museums that are not, you know, where white supremacy hasn't permeated the entire like board and the creation of those museums. And there's of course gonna be wonderful art and wonderful artists of color in those museums, but it's good to step out of your comfort zone and go to a smaller show, a smaller gallery, you know, maybe in a different neighborhood that's not, you know, in the tourist, super clean downtown of that city, you know, mm -hmm. and um, and do that. Go to surprise yourself. Go to a gallery that you have never gone to before. And that's where you see a lot of incredible underrepresented work um, because that's just another industry where it's like, Unfortunately, it's like the white dudes are making the decision of what's good art, what's bad art, what has value, what doesn't, things like that. Um, so, Selena, I'm still preparing to maybe one day get my piece. I don't even know which black woman <laughs> I want to purchase. I'm like, I love them all. How can our lovely audience find you, follow you? Um, what's your Instagram? So my Instagram is Selena, C-E-L-I-N-A dot C dot Pereira, P-E-R-E-I-R-A. Um, that's my handle. Uh, there is a very famous musician from the Ivory Coast named Selena Pereira, and she beats yep. all of my Google searches. <laughs> <laughs> she does. I go, she's the first thing that comes up, and I'm like, you got to include the C, Selena C. <laughs> um, so honestly, right now, I think – Maybe um, low-key, it's by design, but people DM me, um, they email me, and I make prints made to order. Um, right now, I'm not selling any of my paintings so that I can, you know, make the collection and, and have a show. But I do have my studio is starting to fill up, so I think I'm going to, you know, do a studio sale soon. Um Yay! <laughs> well, there's a way to socially do a distant one and we could we could talk about it offline if you need any help with that I'm one of Selena's biggest fans so you know I'm always like if I write a book I want her to do the cover and all this other then I found out later that I don't get to decide that shit the publisher gets to, to decide so you know there's all that oh my but, gosh I know um, that's my dream I want to do book covers as well as wine labels weirdly um but it's so hard oh, to get I someone to let you wine do wine <laughs> You gotta be hype about that. That that would be so dope. Like I like honestly, her work. You gotta go and follow her because her work can fit in in anywhere. Anywhere. It is so fresh. It feels like it could last forever. Like there's no time limit. It's not gonna get dated. But anyway, go on. You were telling people about your website and maybe hopefully a show or exhibition coming up. Sorry. Yes. So if if you guys want to see my work on Instagram, um, my website. It's a little bit outdated, but you can contact me via DM. You can email me. My email is also on my Instagram. Um, and you can buy directly from me. And I will, I always post and I'll be posting any studio sales or exhibitions coming up, um, whether they are in person or virtual. And yeah, I really appreciate um, just your constant support for my work ever since meeting you at the Riveter. I mean, you're just so inspiring and incredible to talk to in general and so knowledgeable about the community and just everything that's happening, both art and purpose forward. Um, and 
you've just got your hands in so many things. So I do. I'm a busy body. Yeah. That's what query. <laughs> what, what's your sign quickly, Selena, just so I can keep things woo woo on the show? Mm, I'm a Capricorn, <laughs> December 30th. Ooh, they're grounded and I feel like they are good with discipline and um, I find them to be organized. I have a lot of Capricorn uh, friends. Um, just say no to Virgo men. Anyway, <laughs> um, thank you for being on. You have to wear something, Selena. I am rooting for you always. Um, whenever I think of stuff or commissions or anything like that, I definitely would love to connect with you on that. And I also have two new sponsors of my show, which I forgot to say thank you. So I'm going to take a moment to say thank you to Kenneth and Tina for being new sponsors of my show, which I never thought I would ever have. But thank you so much. That means more people are listening. Um, so that's so great. Um, and I hope to come to your show in the future and keep making great work. And also, guys, Selena is just also very po like positive and just a pleasure to work with like there's like no attitude or ego you know you find that a lot of times in the art world if someone is kind of like successful sometimes there's awkwardness I don't know it's just she's just pleasant to work with so thank you for just outside of your work being like a good person I appreciate that Selena oh my gosh thank you so much that means a lot coming from you Cool. Well, until next time when you have to wear something, thank you, audience. And as I always say, peace. Bye.